Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome back to another episode, the first episode of 2021, the QB Spotlight Podcast. We are more than happy to put 2020 behind us. Uh, the majority of us may have you know, dealt with our own fair share of uh, troubles through 2020 outside of Steve Hamner, who had a phenomenal 2020. You know, he he welcomed his uh, his growing family, you know, welcomed a uh, he's now a, a father. We've been over that on the podcast. So Steve hit a home run. While all of us were striking out in 2020, the rest of uh, the rest was struck out in 2020. Steve hit a full-on home run. But uh, welcome to 2021. I am Eric Henry, uh, Underdog Dynasty Publishing Managing Editor of Underdog Dynasty, SB, SB Nation's home for G5 football coverage. Alongside me, as always, is the man who is looking a little less sleep-deprived, uh, but uh, still, he, he's shaving. He's shaving. You know, he's... Uh, <laughs> Steve, what shirt you got on? What what uh what's, what's the school that you repping? Let me show you this. Let me show you this shirt, uh, Eric. I got my uh so uh, not to cut off Eric real quickly, but no, no, go for it. Yeah, we got the uh, we got the FCS uh, football season upon us, and so I got my team, Eric. I don't know if you have your team yet. Do you want to tell the uh, the listeners what what <laughs> uh, what team I'm rocking right now? <laughs> my man Steve has a Nike Montana Grizzlies shirt on. So just to show. True to form, he is all about the brand of the underdogs, the you know schools that don't get enough spotlight. Steve is true to form. And me, I am just here in a Nike zip-up that was a UCF zip-up, but it's like eight years old, so the UCF logo has uh, washed off of this zip-up, so it is now just a great Nike zip-up at this point. But uh, without further ado, we will welcome everyone back. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for making it back. Hopefully you made it through uh, the New Year's, the holiday season, safe and sound. Here's what is going to be the bulk of our podcast really throughout the offseason. Transfer portal. It is the, you know, dirty word, uh, depending on who you are, depending on if you're a team who lost a player, if you're a team who gained a player, it is your version of free agency. And, I, and Steve, I think you would agree with this. Arguably the position that is affected the most that can make or break a team's fortunes, so to speak, is quarterback. You know, we've seen it in, in the league that I cover, Conference USA. Can go to FIU, guys like James Morgan got him out of the transfer portal. Ty Story ends up at Western Kentucky transfer portal. You know, you can look around the league. Uh, Luke Anthony at uh, Louisiana Tech transfer portal. Mm-hmm. So, uh, if you are a school who you know is coming off a rough year and you just feel like you're a quarterback away, this is really going to be your option. It is college football's version of free agency, and we're going to do our best. Steve, I know you got the numbers. How many quarterbacks? I saw your tweet, but I don't have it offhand. How many quarterbacks? Uh, at last check, we're in the transfer portal. So uh, according to 24-7 sports, and I can confirm that there are some quarterbacks missing because some of the guys that we follow uh, are committing to places that are not in the transfer portal on 24-7. But according to 24-7 sports, last time I checked, this is Wednesday night, uh, there were 94, I believe, quarterbacks, FBS quarterbacks uh, in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the transfer portal. So we have a we've got a, a flurry of, of, of quarterbacks, you know, the, the number one most important position, in my opinion, in this game with how offenses are evolving today. And to, to kind of echo off Eric's point about the transfer portal and, and the important quarterbacks is, of course, Joe Bur- Burrow is a great example last year, but even, you know, Justin Fields, uh, I know they didn't win the, the national championship, but transfer portal last year, uh, Jalen Hurts transfer portal last year. So it's just a, a great example of, leagues uh, of quarterbacks around the whole leagues of the whole league of college football power five g5 benefiting from uh the the transfer portal and like eric said we can't wait to break it down and uh this whole offseason 
uh, we'll be spending a lot of time with the transfer portal just because one, it's, it's fascinating, and interesting. And two, there's, you know, a lot of these guys deserve to be talked about. And I want to give kudos to, to our guy, uh, Eric C. Henry real quick, just because he's been putting out some awesome content for FIU and underdog dynasty. And uh, his job has become much busier in the off season now with, with, with the transfer portal. So I'm sure it's a love hate relationship with Eric uh, and the transfer portal, but he is staying on top of things. So sincerely want to give a kudos to Eric because he does a great job and he, he, you know, stays on top of things and even sh- will shoot me a text when a quarterback's in transfer portal. Hey, check this guy out. Hey, this guy's in. So uh, it, it's a, uh, it, it, it makes uh, the life of a, of a sports journalist tougher for someone like Eric, but you know, it, it makes you better too. Thank you, Steve. That means a lot to hear you acknowledge the struggles of a sports journalist. I mean, you know, one of our early episodes I like to reference with James Morgan, you you were running from the first journalist. <laughs> and I, I got to keep, I got, I got, I got to dog, dog it a little bit and then give it to you. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I appreciate it. You know, the thing that's made this offseason uh, uh, busy is the, the amount of coaching changes on FIU staff. That's another, another topic, for another podcast. Really quick before we jump into things, uh, Steve, can you repeat that number of quarterbacks who are in the portal? Uh, so the the number the number as of now is is ninety four according to CBS twenty four seven Sports. Okay, ninety four quarterbacks. Steve, let me F- test your number. Uh, ninety four FBS quarterbacks according to two four seven Sports. I'm going to test your knowledge really quickly. How many FBS football teams are there, Steve? Uh, is it is it one? Oh my gosh, one twenty nine. A uh, hundred and twenty nine. You nailed it. Wow. Yeah, um, a hundred and twenty seven uh, that that we saw actually saw time this year but the number uh will rise to 129 uh i'm gonna go and double check that but i'm 99 sure that i'm right but the reason i bring up the number whether it's 129 or 127 is because 94 quarterbacks uh you know just under 130 teams right not every quarterback in the portal is going to land at a spot and be the guy <laughs> you know we have x amount of teams who are bringing back quarterbacks who have their guy so this just goes to show you um just kind of of how nuts this transfer portal situation is and furthermore, you know, another reason that we want to devote a lot of our offseason to it is because of the fact that you may not be familiar with some of these guys. You mm-hmm. know, some of the guys, I would venture to say, you know, three out of the four guys, or all right, I'll say two, two or maybe three out of the four guys we're going to talk about today, you may not be familiar with. So we definitely yeah. want to do that. And really quick, without further ado, before we get into it, Steve, where can you find this podcast, the uh, great platform that is ho- that will be hosting it? Please shout yeah. them out, sir. Yeah, so... Um... You know, anyone that's listened to to us recently has known that we've recently kind of uh, joined with uh, Draft Diamonds. Uh, you can find them. Their, their website is NFLDraftDiamonds.com. You can find them on Twitter at Draft Diamonds. And what they do is they kind of take uh, their their whole kind of mission statement, if you will, is is finding diamonds in the rough uh, college football players and kind of promoting them and giving them. A, a platform to you know potentially play at the next level so kind of similar to what we do but they go more deep into the into the weeds in every position and they do a great job over there so again you can check them out at nfldraftdiamonds.com or at draft diamonds on twitter and they do a great job just keeping you up with kind of uh, great college football players that might be under the radar without a doubt we want to make sure we get that shout out in so Let's jump right into it. A guy who we've talked about on previous podcasts last year, uh, he has officially made his decision, a kind of a full scale, like, you know, just transfer portal situation, not just he, but um, members of, you know, the staff from that school and also two of his receivers as well who ended up in Bowling Green. But the guy we'll be talking about, uh, Bailey Zappi. Uh, you've heard of talk about him a lot. Like I said, last year coming from Houston Baptist, he's a guy who really jumped on my radar last year. You know, I had a chance last year being 2019. The first time I uh, saw Houston Baptist play, 
Uh, they opened up the 2019, 2019 season, excuse me, at UTEP. And that was a game that, you know, if anyone's followed UTEP football over the past few years, knew that prior to 2020 and them getting a little bit of success, it had really been a struggle for Dana Dimmo to get that program going. So when I was previewing that game for Underdog Dynasty, I was saying, hey, you know, if you look at Houston Baptist record over the past few years, this should be a game that if UTEP is going to get a win this year, it's going to be this one. And guess what? Uh, Bailey Zappi and the uh, Houston Baptist. Oh, come on. They're not the Cougars. I, I knew I know they're they're Steve Texas Huskies, Huskies 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 <laughs> the HBU Huskies there we go I got to defer to my Texan here that's they right. went to El Paso and made it a game it was a 36-34 game that UTEP won by two but that's when Bailey Zappi really jumped onto my radar had a pleasure had a great time watching him throughout the 2019 season uh for those of you who are not familiar his numbers in 2019 we go and run those back really quickly as Steve made them available for me but he had an excellent 2019 season it's completed six but just a shade under 64% of his balls, 35 TDs, 15 picks, 3,811 yards passing. If you go back to his 2018 year, the 23 touchdowns and 13 interceptions, uh, and you look at the, at, the, at the interceptions and say, hey, maybe that's a little high, want to see what happens. You fast forward to 2020, he completes almost 66% of his balls for 1,833 yards, 15 TDs, only one interception in four games. And folks, this is not, you know, if you know anything, and and, and we will feel free, you know, we are certainly here to – um. Uh, enlighten you guys if you don't know anything about Houston Baptist as far as their offense. Their offensive coordinator, Zach Kitley, is making, or uh, I believe Zach, Zach Kitley, I, think I, I hope I got the last name correctly. I'm hoping pronouncing the last name correctly because I, I know I'm, uh, that is a name, but he is making the move to Bowling Green. He's actually going to be the co offensive coordinator, Steve. Mm. That news came out today. Um, huh. I, I, I know I had shown you that he made the move to be the OC. Just came out today that Brian Ellis, the former offensive coordinator, has gone back a long way with Tyson Helton at Western Kentucky. That's going to be a co-offensive coordinator situation, but Ellis will report directly to Zach Kitley. So that's kind of the hierarchy there. Steve, I mentioned that on the pod, so I'm going to come back to that thought. But as we get into Bailey Zappi, that offense they ran at Houston Baptist, uh, Zach Kitley is a disciple of Cliff Kingsbury. He, he really cut his teeth at Texas Tech. The only thing about that offense, it is the air raid, and that is what they ran at Houston Baptist. Steve, uh, I think I've ran my mouth now for about 10 minutes in this pod, so have at it. Bailey Zappi. No, and, and so and, and to to Eric's credit, this was a guy who I didn't really know much about until until earlier on. Eric Eric uh, shot me a text before the season starts, like, "Hey, make sure you check this guy out." And it was either I think it was North Texas. They opened up with a Texas Tech, one of those schools, and they gave them a run for their money. And from then on, I was like, "Man, I gotta check out this guy a, a bit more." And uh, he turned out to have a hell of a season in, in only four games. So only only in only four games this year. He almost threw for 2,000 yards passing at 1,800 uh, 1,833 yards passing, so right under 2,000 yards passing in four games. And, and something else that stuck out to me just from a statistical standpoint is his best games were against the the better competition that he played, Louisiana Tech, Texas Tech, and UNT. Uh, his his worst game, quote-unquote, uh, maybe not the worst game, but the only game he didn't throw under – over 400 yards was against Eastern Kentucky, uh, an, an FCS opponent, and so two of the teams that that uh, that he played this past year are you know in the same conference that he is in now with Western Kentucky, and the fact that he did what he did to those defenses. Now, granted, UNT you know is known not having a great defense, but still, uh, it's a level up from Western Kentucky. And the fact that he was able to have those numbers against those defenses has to have Western Kentucky fans extremely excited, especially because Western Kentucky is a is a is, is a, a school a, a team that was missing not just a quarterback, but just, you know, a, a offensive firepower in general. I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but uh, a yards per attempt was one of the lowest in Conference USA. And 
if you look at the yards per attempt for Baylor Zappi, I, I guarantee it's at least three or four more yards than what Western Kentucky had previously, which is which is a huge number. You know, you, you, seven is considered you know averageish, and anything up there is pretty good. Anything under seven is is considered you know kind of on the lower uh, end of things. So with that kind of more uh, power dynamic and push the ball downfield way more than what Western Kentucky was used to seeing this year. With, with that coming, I expect that number to be way up. I expect the offensive. Uh, production to be way up and you know Zappi is an interesting an interesting uh quarterback to watch I think he has a potential NFL future and, and he here are a few reasons why um number one he's got a great feel on his passes and, and watching film I think that's one of the most underrated things uh in evaluating the quarterback position and you know people get obsessed with the cannon of an arm you know he can rip it he can do this we can develop him you know we can even though he doesn't have great touch we can develop that well, that's not always the case you can't always you can't always develop touch and that's something that jumps off a film with Bailey Zappi he's able to rip it whenever he needs to but he's also able to throw a two ball or a three ball if he needs to he's able to drop it over the linebacker in between the safety uh he's not always having to to gun it if if he doesn't need to so that's a number one thing that jumps off at me uh, for Bailey Zappi, and that you know translates to accuracy, which is again something else Western Kentucky missed at the quarterback position last year. Uh, an- another big thing, which you've probably heard a lot of, you know, uh, quarterback analysts and people talk about as of late, you know, because of the Patrick Mahomes uh, phenomenon, is is his ability to throw from different arm angles, and that's something that's always kind of been around. Mahomes just does it so elitely and so just just. I don't know if elite is a word, but he just does it so much better than everyone else. And it's so like, awe, and, and it makes people just grasp. So it's become like a, like a big deal, but, but uh, Bailey Zappi can throw from any different arm angle as well. And it's important because you always see when, when quarterbacks are practicing, you rarely ever, um, what you do in practice against air, you rarely ever throw those same mechanics in a game because you have pressure in your face. You have different, uh, you have, you have different coverage you have to fit the ball into. And so being able to throw accurately from a different arm angle is extremely important. And again, the accuracy being something Western Kentucky missed last year. Um, this is another, another reason why this is such a good get for Western Kentucky. Um, and the last thing I want to touch about with Bailey Zappi is he's, you know, he, he's not going to be uh, Tyrell Pigrome, who uh, was a quarterback last year as far as his athletic ability, his ability to run, but he's mobile enough. Uh, he, he reminded me of, of like a, of a Thai story, honestly, maybe not quite as mobile, but he's mobile enough to, to get outside uh, and, and to avoid pressure. He's not a statue in the pocket. And when he does get outside, he doesn't look to run but he just looks to, to, to buy time while keeping his eyes downfield and looking for his receivers to come open. And like Eric mentioned earlier, they have several of the receivers coming over with him. Uh, and, and so being able to have that rapport and being able to have that familiarity with the receiver and the offensive corner is only going to add value to uh, Bailey Zappi coming over to Western Kentucky. Um, th- this is, I know this is one of Eric's favorite gets, and I have to agree with him. This is one of my favorite gets uh, for the quarterback position and the transfer portal as of now. So, Steve, uh, you know, like I said, we're going to uh, do a couple quick follow-ups here on Bailey Zappi for moving to the next quarterback. want to ask you this, right? So what are your thoughts? I know I'm a huge fan of this move for Western Kentucky. I, not that I wouldn't be on a surface. I have someone who I'm someone who said that I think, and I definitely want your thoughts on this, that the G5 level is a great level for an FCS quarterback making the leap. Not that there aren't G5 quarterbacks, excuse me, FCS quarterbacks who can't compete at the Power 5 level. But I think you get the right situation at a group of five, the talent level, uh, while still, uh, you know, higher at a group of five, 
might not be significantly higher and you can still go out there and showcase your talents, but in specificity, getting the offensive coordinator, getting the, the two receivers. Let's talk about that for a second. And, and also just from what you see in, in terms of the air raid offense and, and how he kind of makes that work. Yeah. And, and so I think it's, I think I'll, I'll touch on the, him having his OC and his two receivers, like, you know, and who knows what practice is going to look like this, this all season. We're going to, you know, hopefully it, it is almost back to normal, but you know, there could still be some restrictions and some, some practice limitations. You know, we're just speculating, like we just don't know what it's going to look like. So the fact that he already is familiar with, uh, two of his receivers and he's already familiar with, with the language and the terminology they're going to be using is huge. And, you know, if, if they're able to get the majority of practice and the reps and with his uh, now new teammates that will, you know, make things even better. And then as far as it goes to the spread offense, um, there aren't a lot of, I'm thinking at the top of my head, besides, you know, North Texas, there aren't a lot of uh, air right air raid type offenses and conference USA, I'll let you correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm just thinking of most of the teams don't have a true air raid style offense. So that might, you know, give them an advantage because conference USA defenses are going to be so used to seeing uh, different offenses. And then when they go to the air raid offense, something that maybe aren't as accustomed to practicing against, I think that also could be a potential advantage for uh, Western Kentucky and and this uh, air raid style of, of offense that they are bringing over over there. And the last thing I want to ask you before we transition to our next quarterback, Steve, is, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry about that, just uh, on film, what are some of the things, I know you've talked about the arm angles, and you kind of went, you know, uh, in, in depth about, you know, the you know, the touch on his passes and him being a little bit mobile enough. But I want to ask you this, um, just on film, uh, what did you see in specificity against the North Texases and the Louisiana Techs that makes you think that he can have success on this level? I, th- I think the fact that, that he did have success uh, uh, against them and against both of them, and kept them, you know, I know North Texas got to a big lead, but he kept them in the game. And it, it, the there wasn't like a, you know, sometimes when you see a a, a Sunbelt team play, you know, a powerhouse SEC team, you see the huge level of drop-off in talent. And you didn't necessarily see that against North Texas or La Tech, even though those two schools end up beating HBU. And I think a big reason why was because Bailey Zappi's ability to uh, help rise the talent all around him while, you know, Law Tech and UNT are more talented than HBU. Uh, but the fact that Billy Zappi was such a good quarterback and, and was able to uh, ultimately pull out the best of his players, I think that was a big deal and, and something that, you know, is, is evident on film too. And, and he, he knew the offense like the back of his hand. It was his third year starting. So uh, just that experience alone, uh, I, I think, helped elevate the talent around him when they were playing those, those bigger schools. Next quarterback we're going to talk about is definitely another interesting situation. And as Steve talked about with, you know, the situation of West Kentucky, don't know whether Tyrell Pigram will return or not. At last I heard the option was there for him to return, but that was prior to Bailey Zappi's arrival. At Old Dominion, you know, first-year head coach Ricky Ronnie, he's going to have a situation in his hands where they've brought in a quarterback who, quite frankly, probably fits the system that he ran a little bit more effectively than the, the incumbent or would-be incumbent starter in Hayden Wolf, the redshirt freshman from down here in the in Florida, from Venice, Florida. But DJ Mack, Daryl Mack Jr., the former UCF Knight, you may be familiar with him mainly from his performance uh, in the 2018 American Conference Championship game. I had a chance to watch that game. I had to cover that game. Excuse me. I had a chance to cover that game in person. And then the Fiesta Bowl, the following game that uh, that year, uh, was a loss, wasn't his best performance, but you had a chance to see really in full display what he could do in the AAC title game. And then, of course, this year, the past two years, the job's been dealing Gabriel, so he's backed up. 
he's chosen to transfer. Steve, want to get your thoughts on him and in specificity, uh, just looking at Ricky Ronnie's RPO system. You know, if you look at the quarterbacks who who, who played under him at Penn State, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I believe it's uh, Clifford and Trace McSorley, if my memory serves me correct, mm-hmm. were the guys there at Penn State. Both guys who can use their legs. Both guys who can, you know, get out of the pocket and, and make some plays. Not necessarily that Hayden Wolf isn't a solid athlete, but if you've seen Hayden Wolf, he's a tall 6'5", 6'6", uh, kid, 205, 210 pounds. Uh, at last last time he played actual football, uh, I had a chance to watch his first start actually at FIU. He looked all about 205 pounds, certainly going to grow into that frame, but not necessarily someone's going to use his legs to make plays. Uh, just going to let you take it away there with kind of that dynamic and, of course, what you see with DJ Mack fitting in the RPO system, Ricky Ronnie. Yeah, so I think if anyone goes back and, and watches, uh, you know, the UCF film with, with DJ Mack, obviously it, it's limited because he only started a, a, a few games that, uh, what, 2019? No, 2018 season. 2018. Yeah. 2018 season, started a few games at the end. And then he was more of like a like a change of pace kind of guy. You know how running backs will come in as a change of pace. He was kind of like that uh, for the quarterback position uh, once Gable took, took the uh, – took the starting job, he would come in and do some kind of run plays. And the biggest thing that jumped off to me was he can bring that creativity to the offense that, you know, Ricky Ronnie had when he was the OC at Penn State and that uh, I believe he probably learned and took some from from Joe Moorhead, who was a previous OC at, at, at Penn State. And that's when you really saw the success with, you know, Trace McSorley. And, uh, so I would imagine Ricky Ronnie is going to be, you know, like you said, there's, there's a reason why they brought, you know, DJ Mack here. Um and that's not to say that uh, if we're getting to the from the the competition standpoint, it's not to say Hayden Wolf can't win the competition uh, because ultimately, if, if he's you know the, the the better player under center, then a Ricky Ronnie you trust will be able to uh, be a creative enough coach to you know make him fit that system. Uh, however, I did th- I do think they brought in uh, you know Mac to uh, hopefully come in and potentially win that job because uh, of that be, just because his offense is built so around the RPO and. Um, I, I think he, he, he definitely has, he, while, while him and Hayden Wolf probably have the similar amount of games started, if two or, or three games, whatever it may be, the fact that uh, DJ Mack has seen and played against the best of the best, you know, against LSU. And while that game was, you know, not a good game by any means for him, um, it was still valuable, valuable experience that he was able to, to play against. And he showed toughness and he kept getting up. And I, I think that's a big quality in having, especially when you're running the RPO uh, when you're running the RPO system and you're a quarterback that's going to be running um, and you're going to be taking hit after hit. So another thing that stood out to me besides his, his uh, you know, limited experience, but still experience in big games was the fact that he, to me, and you, you probably have more insight than I do just because you're, you're in that world a bit more, but he seemed like such a great teammate. It, it, it stood out to me whenever uh, Mackenzie Milton had his injury a few years ago and, and DJ Mack was like one, like the, the first guys out there. And he was, he was always with Milton and just kept giving Milton compliments and compliments and compliments. And that always stuck out to me, even when Mack had his big game against uh, Memphis, I think that's six touchdowns, he was still just, just, you know, always kept Milton in his mind. Um, and then the fact whenever Gabriel won the job, to me, he seemed at least supportive of Gabriel and did all he could for the team. So I, I, I think that you're getting a great teammate and someone who just wants to, to play essentially. And uh, I think he fits that offense. And so I, man, I'm super excited to see what he can do at Old Dominion. But at the same time, I, I am acknowledging that, uh, there will be, you know, a competition, and you know, Hayden Wolf isn't going to just, you know, give over the job. So, some uh, one of the more interesting, but probably low key competitions in Conference USA to look forward to. Steve, one of the things that I kind of took from seeing uh, DJ Mack, and I don't know if you took this away as well, 
he's a rhythm guy. Um, I, I don't want to just make the obvious comparison to Cam Newton, just because, you know, both great athletes and kind of similar size. I mean, Cam, bigger than DJ Mack. I mean, Cam, people forget Cam is a legit 6'6", six, six, you know, 250 pounds. DJ Mack's about 6'3", six, 6'4", six, in that 225-230 range. But Cam is a guy who you see is like a rhythm player, right? He's like a... He's like a good running back, right? And that you, you gotta you gotta get him a couple carries uh, early on, you know, let him get to take a couple hits, and then as the game progresses, he goes on like a good shooting guard. Got to get his shots up first. That's the way I always felt about DJ Mack in the limited time that I saw him. If you go back to that 2018 American Title game, that was a game that people forget. UCF was down 28 to seven at one point because of the great you know performance by Daryl Henderson. Uh, it took him a little while to catch his stride. And then once he did, you know, you couldn't stop him with the four rushing touchdowns. Just wondering if you gathered that as well from, you know, kind of what you saw on film. No, a hundred percent. I think just, just uh, piggybacking up off what you said, it, it was like, it was night and day. Once Mac found out rhythm throwing in running, uh, he was just comfortable compared to, you know, when they played LSU, he was 11 for 30, 97 yards passing, negative yards rushing. There was no rhythm. And while they still made the game close, just because they're a talented team, uh, he wasn't able to get in, in any rhythm at all. So uh, I, I definitely think – I think it's a fair comparison to Cam Newton as far as similar styles, even if they're not – you know, obviously they're not the same quality player as of now, but I think similar styles is, is a fair comparison to them. Steve, one last thing on B.J. Mack for transition next quarterback. When you look at the quarterbacks who have played in Ricky Ronnie's system, um, any parallels or anything that you see that with, with Mack on, on film that you think will translate well? Yeah, that's a good question. Just because Sean Clifford was such a was such a different quarterback than Tracy McSorley, and um, no, Clifford's a decent athlete in his own mind in his own right, but McSorley was a better athlete and was just so much more accurate than, than Clifford was, and you could see the differences in, in those offenses. Um, so I think I think if he can be accurate, if, if if Matt can be accurate in that RPO system. And, and hit those throws that are given to him. And, and like we said, get in that rhythm. I think, I think he will perform closer to how McSorley performed than how, you know, say Clifford form performed, not that Clifford performed poorly by any means, but if you guys any Penn state fan, they're going to tell you the number one problem is, is quarterback. Um, but, but I, I, I do, I do think, you know, accuracy, you know, this sounds obvious, uh, but if he can be accurate throwing the ball, it's going to open up everything from him running the running back running uh, and just to open up the offense in, in general. I know I said one last thing, but I got one more thing, Steve, really quick. Yep. Um, we're going to need your quarterback expertise here. I'm asking, you know, genuinely as, as, you know, a novice um, in terms of the RPO system, right. And, and how much of it, is determined on, you know, for, for those of you listening who may not know, you know, a lot of the RPO, it's based on reading certain defenders, right? Whether it's that that edge defender or a certain linebacker, seeing what they do, and then you read and react based off of that. Um, are there any similarities between the air raid, not in the offense, obviously those are two different offenses, but in the air raid, there are certain throws that are built into the offense that you have to kind of build your collision percentage up, right? Keep the ball moving. Do you see anything from the RPO that would maybe allow for a certain quarterback to kind of have a higher completion percentage based on just the fact that you got to read X and then kind of draw, whether it's that, you know, you're reading that the, the, the front seven, and then essentially you're trying to draw those safeties in to kind of, you know, make things happen in the passing game. You let me know if I've mischaracterized anything about the RPO. 
No, no, definitely. And I won't get into the weeds too much, but you're definitely you're reading the front seven, reading the box, you're seeing where the safety is, and that's going to kind of determine a lot for the majority of RPOs. But at the same time, uh, you, you'll have RPOs where you, you might have a guy in motion, you might have a receiver just just standing right in his spot where um, you know that's going to be a pretty high percentage throw. So I, I think I think yeah, there are similarities as far as high percentage throws. It's just if they're called, and there's also similarities as far as wanting to spread the spread the defense out. You know, most air raid systems want to spread the defense out. A lot of air raid systems also want to spread the defense out um, or, or, you know, um, make this, just to make sure that they're able to, to read the whole field and nothing gets too kind of uh, jumbled within the box. But you're definitely right. You want to read the front seven, see where the safety's at. Uh, but at the same time, there are definitely high completion throws in the RPO just like there are in the, uh, in the air raid. All right, Steve. So next quarterback we're going to talk about here, and for those of you listening, uh, we're going to do two quarterbacks who are committed and two quarterbacks who aren't committed. That's how we're going to try to do it. Um, and of course, as the quarterbacks who do end up finding homes uh, land at their home, that we'll go ahead and, and you know kind of retouch on those guys based on the system they're in. But the next guy we're going to talk about is Sunshine State, James Blackman, uh, big tall drink of water. You know, six five, six six, about one hundred ninety five pounds. I don't know if JB ever gained a couple pounds in his years at Florida State. Still look like he's, you know, pretty thin, but uh, uh, it'd be interesting to see, you know, a former four-star prospect out of Bell Glade, Florida, Muck City, as it's known down here. Steve, what are your thoughts on uh, James Blackman? Yeah, I think, I think so I have, I have a, several takeaways. And this is someone who, you know, me and Eric have, have seen often um, this because I was in Florida the past three years, you know, Eric, of course, are flirting and, and, you know, we're surrounded by Florida State fans and uh, he seems to be the, the scapegoat for every, every problem. Him and the coach, whoever the coach at the time seems to be the scapegoat. Um, but I think he got way too much criticism. Some, some was justified, but he did have, you know, three different coaches, uh, in, in his years at Florida state. Um, but I think he offers a lot. And I think if he finds the right system with the right offensive coordinator, I think, man, I think if he went to the G five level with, 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 with a good offensive coordinator, he could really blossom. Uh, his physical traits were, have never been the issue. He's got a good arm. He's got He's tough, even though you know he's long and skinny. He's still tough. Take a hit, get up. And he can stretch the field. He's got the arm to make any throw, uh, and he's he has the ability to uh, stretch the field and keep those safeties honest, not coming down. the 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 biggest aspect is can he gain that you know uh, his confidence back? Can he gain that consistency back? Because he was so inconsistent, and 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 I, a lot of that goes to coaching, in my in my opinion, especially with, with the three coaches he's had and. So I think his biggest question now is the mental aspect of things. Uh, and this would be tiring to any quarterback uh, that was in Blackman's situation uh, just because he wasn't in a successful spot. But that led to him being in- indecisive, second-guessing his reads. And then, you know, once you start second-guessing yourself, like as a quarterback, when you lose that confidence, you're, you're, you're done essentially. As a gunslinger, you have like, like the yips, you know what I mean? So not saying he had the yips, but it's a decent comparison uh, as as a golfer who you know is mentally struggling, he might get the yips and can't hit a putt. That was that was kind of similar to, to James Black. And he just had the yips and was afraid to fire when the receiver was open. Um, so I, I do think he's got a, a ton of potential if he's in the right system. What system is that? Again, I think he can probably fit multiple systems. I think it's all about the right coach who can kind of mold him, put his arm around him. That like, yo, we can like you're good, like forget what happened at Florida State, let's go out and do something. So I think if he if he's in the right coach, right system, he can, you know, blossom at the G5 level. Steve, the biggest thing that I think I saw when I had a chance to watch James Blackman, obviously, you know, my job covering FIU and Conference USA, it's not like I'm sitting there watching a ton of Florida State football, but I do get a chance being here in Sunshine State to get a, probably more than most. Steve, did it ever feel to you 
based on, you know, it's been tough sledding for Florida State since Jimbo Fisher left. Uh, the offensive line has been a major issue. doesn't matter if it's James Blackman, DeAndre Francois, et cetera. Is there any part of you in watching him that almost feels like, you know, and I'm asking you as a former quarterback as well, when you just take so many hits and you almost get gun shy back there. And it's like, you know, and, and I'm not accusing him of being this way. I'm just asking, speculating here because if you saw James Blackman and I, I mentioned for a reason that he's a, a tall, thin guy, he took some hits that it just seemed like he wouldn't get back up, you know? So I guess that's my first question for you regarding Blackman is it too little too late in terms of hitting the transfer portal now and being able to maybe find a home given just how much he was beat up at Florida state? So I don't, I don't think it's too little too late, but to the first kind of part of the question, can you be gun shy? Hell yeah. Um, especially after a long season, get hit, get hit. That doesn't mean, you know, he's not tough by any means he's standing in there, but at some point, you know, this, this mentally you start focusing on, okay, the pass rush is coming. I'm focusing on this pass rush and my eyes aren't supposed to be here, but my eyes are here as opposed to the X running a slant or the Y running out or whatever it may be. Uh, and then that's like where the indecisiveness comes in. And then you start thinking, okay, the rush is coming. Then all of a sudden the rush doesn't come. You expect it to come. Uh, and now like you're sitting there like, oh, I'm not hit. Now I'm going to need to look downfield. So I think absolutely that that was something, but I don't think that's, that's not something that can't be fixed. And that's not something that uh, a, a, a good coach can't coach out of you, you know, and that's something to do, to do with um, kind of how you talked about DJ Mack being a, a rhythm passer. I think it's the same thing with James Blackman. If, if you get him some success, he's going to build it out. And I think he can roll. Like go back to the Boise state game uh, that they played in 2019. I think when they opened up against him, they had a huge lead. He was throwing left and right all downfield. And then all of a sudden just boom, nothing, not a, uh, but that shows like the potential that's there if you get him going. So answer the question, yeah, I think that had a huge effect on him, uh, taking hit after hit. But I don't think it's not salvageable. I think he's got a lot left in the tank if the right coach gets a gets a hold of him. Issue number two with James Blackman, Steve. He's played under a lot of offensive coordinators. That's been a situation where they've been rotating on and on for a while. And wherever he transfers, that'll be a yet another offensive coordinator. I'll let you have at it with that. Yes, yeah, so that was another thing I, I I was thinking about when we were kind of breaking down James, James Blackman is I think yeah a lot of his his on his his inconsistencies has to do with uh with the coaching and so I'm like he's a talented guy he 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 needs the right coach but at the same time I'm thinking okay now it's another one and he's already shown you know what happens when he has multiple play callers so are, can we expect the same thing to happen when he goes to another play caller another play caller with being inconsistent so I think I think that remains to be seen um, but like I said I think I, I think if he went down to the G5 level I, I do think he could have some success um, not saying he can't play the power five just because he's talented but I think maybe maybe it might slow down a little bit for him and, and maybe he uh, is able to find some consistent success and build on that potentially but like I said it, I think it depends if the right coach gets a hold of him and like and at the same time we see him you know, multiple power five guys go down the G five level and, and not have success. So um, I, I think it's interesting. Uh, he's an interesting quarterback with that. And I, I think to answer that question just remains to be seen. One last thing on Blackman and a reason I mentioned as far as gun shy for listeners who may not know, and no kid deserves this. I, I, I want to come out forcefully and say that no athlete deserves. I don't care what the sport James Blackman was booed on senior day as he mm -hmm. was introduced. And you know what? Here's the deal. If you think James Blackman has been the problem with Florida State football over the past how many years, yeah. uh, you're sadly mistaken. Of course, quarterback is the position. You take the most heat. It is what it is. 
but that's just another thing that you know doesn't yeah. do well doesn't do wonders for a kid's confidence but really quickly steve uh before we transition to our last quarterback just from the physical traits i want to ask you about the arm i felt like the arm strength was always there maybe as he was being rushed maybe he uh, overthrew some guys because there wasn't a lot of time but i just want to ask you um arm strength is someone who can make all the throws is that what you see yeah 110 percent. every single throw he can make no questions about it if, if if he's able to to get back in the pocket step up and rip it he can make every throw and if he's confident he can take a hit and not even have you know be technically sound and still make every throw 100 percent, hands down the last quarterback we're going to talk about is someone who I think will be very intriguing to watch where he lands based on the fact that this will be school number three starters career at Oklahoma had to leave Oklahoma due to some issues landed at Florida Atlantic under Lane Kiffin started two years second year was arguably conference USA's top offensive player that is Chris Robison uh Steve four-star kid out of Mes- I believe Mesquite Texas if memory serves me correct um Got all the all the physical tools and a yep. good athlete, a really good athlete. I had a chance to watch a ton of him in Conference USA. Um, but just want to get your thoughts first before I opine. Yeah, I, I think, uh, and this is obviously someone we talked about, um, some in the off, last offseason as we were getting this going. But uh, I, th- I think his biggest his biggest thing that jumped out to me was his ability to improve from the 2018 season to the 2019 season and the fact that he was much more comfortable in the pocket. He went down from 12 interceptions to six interceptions. He went up from 12 touchdowns to 28 touchdowns, and he showed his ability to be coachable. Now, granted, that was under Lane Kiffin, who was uh, one of the best offensive coaches in all of college football. Um, but I think that still jumps out to me that he is coachable. He can get better. He can develop. Uh, so on field-wise and, and as far as physical traits, he has what you need and need in a successful quarterback. And uh, obviously – you know, the big thing here, and, um, you know, I don't know all the details, is all, all the, the off-field issues that have uh, kind of, not kind of, but have hindered his, his performance on, on the football field. I know you got a lot more, uh, just because you've probably watched him more than I have. I know you got some, some other, other stuff to, to talk about Robinson as well. Listen, the thing about Chris Robinson is he was clear, clearly one of the more talented players in Conference USA. You knew that year one just needed time to get adjusted to the system. That entire FAU team did struggle that uh, year. I believe it's 2018, if memory serves me correct. I believe they went five and seven. They turned things around in 2019 from start to finish. He was the guy, one of the top players in Conference USA. And I mentioned the athletic ability for a reason. Is he, you know, Michael Vick by a stretch of imagination? No, but he's absolutely someone who can use his legs to go out there and make plays. And that is something you have to take account for. And what I want to uh, toss it back in your court, Steve, and ask you this. This was something I had a hard time kind of uh, trying to ascertain from his time at Conference USA at FAU. The arm talent. Uh, I want to know what you saw there. By no means was he someone who I thought had a water pistol for an arm. Yeah. But it was hard to really tell. And maybe, again, I don't cover FAU. I, I, I watch, you know, I cover at Conference USA, but I cover FIU mainly. So I, I get my eyes on FAU, but it's like I'm watching every throw. And maybe I was biased because the last two years I saw Chris Robinson, I was watching James Morgan. And mm. that's a different level of arm. But yeah. I just want to get your, really quick your thoughts on his, on his arm talent. Yeah, so so he definitely is, is no James Morgan arm. But I think his arm, <clears throat> his, his, his arm is fine. His arm is good enough. And and he's he's shown to be an accurate enough quarterback. Even even the uh, the down year, his, his completion percentage was sixty three, as above sixty two point three. I know that just because that 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 was his total uh, in those two years. So I think as long as he's accurate, the arm isn't that big of an issue. And I think he's it's fine enough. 
Um, it's not going to jump out. And you're not going to gloat about it like James Morgan or even James Blackman, who we just talked about. Uh, but there, there's enough, there's enough uh, juice and ju- juice in the tank to to make the throws that he needs to make, and, and he's accurate enough to do it. One last thing before we close up this episode, and Robinson, want to ask you this. I think what might be best for him is to drop down and go to the FCS level if a school will take him just because he can get out of the spotlight, you know, doesn't have all these things following him uh, based on his history, you know, was dismissed from Oklahoma, of course, the situation at FAU as well. Just curious if you think that, I mean, I don't think any of us are in disagreement that he's a, a arguably a power five talent, yeah. but it might be this best situation for him to be dropped down to the FCS level um, and, and maybe, you know, get some things going there. No, I, I no, I, I totally agree. And especially with the, with the off field, um, issues. Uh, I, I think that that's probably the best thing. He's already shown he can be successful at you know a, a uh, an FBS level, and he probably has aspirations to to go further. But I think just just go and show you can stay out of trouble. I think is is his number one. It should be his number one goal, regardless where he ends up at. All right. So that is our breakdown. We're going to do four quarterbacks throughout the off season. Two committed, two non committed. As the guys find their slots and find their homes. Stephen Hamner, of course, you can find him on Twitter at Stephen Hamner. You can find the podcast on Twitter at QB Spotlight. I absolutely recommend following uh, Steve's QB Spotlight account because in addition to what you get here, you are going to get a lot of the video breakdowns that showed throws. And we're going to try to do kind of like, you know, a a Gruden's QB camp. We'll try to do a few more things like that throughout the offseason so Steve can really pinpoint what he likes about certain guys, you know, break down some clips and get into things there. You can find this podcast at podcast.apple.com. Just search QB Spotlight. And you can find me on Twitter at Eric C. Henry underscore. Thank you for listening. Glad you made it to 2021. Happy New Year. QB Spotlight's back, everyone. We are back. Uh, we're recharged. Batteries charged up. We're ready to go throughout the offseason to provide you guys some content. Thank you for listening, and stay safe, everyone. Yes, sir.